recently talking about game of thrones and the headline read if you think game of thrones will have a happy ending you haven't been paying attention <laughs> i feel like this is the complete opposite of star trek right you know we're, we're always going to get the happy ending i guess unless you're bike <laughs> which we find out in this episode um although that, already... that's entirely canon reasons no no that's true uh but I was more thinking about all of this in regards to uh, Michael's mother, right? Right. Like, we keep talking again about how she's lost. You know, nobody ever says, like, oh, she didn't make it. She's dead. She's never going to, you know, even in some way, Burnham doesn't think that she's, like, lost forever. Amanda uh, even says, you know, you, will, you found her once and you'll find her again. This really feels like we're setting up the, uh, the happy ending. That time travel works, right? That's true. I mean, she may have died in her own timeline. Yeah. You just meet her earlier on. Yeah. And, of course, you could also get into one of these situations where we realize one of the reasons she's so cold and like, no, I don't want to talk to Burnham. You know, just give me your captain. Is because you'll, there'll be this other interaction later on <laughs> in which be, because they were too friendly or too interactive or whatever... They put in jeopardy the saving of the thing, and right. and obviously the mother would have to go back to her timeline thinking that they had not saved it, even though we may watch and go, oh yeah, right, it's going to work out great. Well, anyway, my name is Matt. I'm coming to you from Austin, and uh, coming from Houston is my brother Ken. Say hello, Ken. Peace and long life. There we go. Well, we are the Brothers Trek About, and this week we're talking about the Discovery episode, Valley of the Shadows. Uh, you know, like the Valley of Shadow of Death. Is that what the is that what the saying is in funerals on TV all the time? Yay, though I've walked through the Valley, the sh Valley of Death or the Shadow of Death? Nah, Valley of the Shadow of Death. It's all. Oh well, there we go. It's all of them together. What's that? Yeah, this is this is Psalm twenty three four. Okay. I'm gonna have to retinacs, you know. I'm mm -hmm. allergic to the retinacs. Right. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. Yes, there we go. There we go. The valley of the shadow of death. Although it's not technically death, he's uh, walking towards in this episode. It's more of his like well and there's, there's multiple deaths right so i guess that's true in a sense pike gets a glimpse of his future right a future that we're well aware of at least right. if we've seen the menagerie part one and two yeah and uh so charlie for example has not or had not seen the menagerie she had, uh -huh. we had watched the cage to make sense of the whole uh, Telosian, Telosian situation. Yeah. yeah. 
But so when we get to this situation and like he's melting and she's like, oh, what's going on? This is awful. I'm like, well, you, okay, we, we've got to go watch you know, part of the menagerie. We didn't yeah. watch the whole two hours because we had just watched The Cage. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot of recap for an eight-year-old. Um, we, we did watch the very end where it starts with, uh, you know, Kirk and Spock and, uh, and Mendez just disappears. Yeah. And the Telosians are like, uh, well, uh, he was just an illusion. And then Spock says, or, or they say, Spock told us that you were so strong-willed that you would have regained control of your ship. Uh, so we needed the, the premise of a court-martial to keep you occupied. Uh, and then he's like, uh, Chris, do you want to go down there? Beep! <laughs> and then he goes off, and then the, um, you know, ca- the captain's just like, hmm. And then the television's are like, Captain. And you see, you know, the, the, ha- the healthy uh, Pike walk up the thing with, with the girl. Yeah. And get into the elevator. I'm like, that's that's what happens to Pike in the end. And that's why the girl was so nice to him and sa- saying things like, well, you've never really left. And So she she found that, like, this is part of the happy story, right? Right. It's the happy ending that we get to look forward to, even for Pike. And he gets to be a hero. Well, you know, it's funny because Michael Burnham says at one point, I thought my mother was dead. And yet... The truth is so much worse. You know, we have people who say things like that, a fate worse than death. Right. You know, which is the one you you hear all the time. And now we got Pike, right, who's the now living example of of, of those things, literally a fate worse than death. What's so great is is that, you know, we've been talking for weeks and weeks about how awesome not only Anson Mount is playing Pike, but just how great the character is, how honorable he is. You know, there was that episode recently where Cornwall was like, uh, yeah, we wanted you to survive because you are the epitome of what the Federation is, you know? And so we have all of that and we see it, you know, all accumulate all, you know, right into this one spot of him having to make the decision over like what your and the admittedly possible future, no matter what the Klingon tells him, could be compared to like, well, everyone will die anyway, so I have to do the honorable thing no matter what and save all of you sentient life as we know it. And he got like the worst possible version of his future, right? Because if right. you go to the beginning of the menagerie, where they're kind of standing, you know, they're going to go in and get Pike and, and Mendez and Kirk are outside talking. You know, about, well, you know what, what happened to Chris. Uh, and th- what they describe is heroic, right? Right. He, he saved cadets. He, you know, that like so many cadets survived because of Pike. And we don't get to see that. All we yeah. see is like, um, we hear that there's some cadet thing. And then the ship goes into some kind of red alert. And then he begins melting. Yep. And so we don't really get a sense of. You know, like maybe he had gone back in because that's one of the things is that he'd gone back in too many times, yeah. right? And to see this, because of course we, as in the next generation, you see that door coming down, right? There's yeah. that thing where where uh, Marina Sirtis, where uh, what's her name, Deanna, is trying to get her command badge so that she can sit on the bridge like uh, Doctor Crusher does. Yeah, uh, you know, take shifts and. Uh, you know, Riker's running through this exercise where that thing is coming down and you've got to decide to leave people on the wrong side of the door. 
Yeah. Right. And so when we see that door come down, we don't need any context because we know what's going on. He stayed in there too long or he went back one too many times. Yeah. And I'm sure there was some guy telling him, no, don't go back in. I got to shut the door. I got to shut the door. Yeah. And he like gets a cadet out and then, oh, sorry. Now you're melting. Yep. Well, you know, I also had the thought, too, that, you know, as much as it affected him, as we see in this episode, that he's got to be at the point in that, you know, where he's like, uh, this is it. This is the time where it happens. And yet he still does go back for that last person to try right. and get her out. You know what I yeah. mean? Even though he, just, he knows. He's not the guy who's like, well, I'm not going. I've already been in there twice. That's enough. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, he knows what's going to happen and he still goes after her. And that's just yeah. a part of what makes that character so much greater. You and know? that's what he tells the Klingon. It's like, this is who I am. So I have to be who I have to be. Yeah. And I'm you sure, know, it's like, funny. at Go that ahead. moment, he would be like, you know, one of these times going back in to save cadets is going to be the time I melt. But look at those cadets. How could I tell their parents that, like, I just watched them die? I can't do it. I'm going in one more time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it made me forget what I was going to say, though. That's how touching it is. Oh, I remember. Last season, they kept talking about how, like, oh, this isn't like Trek. This doesn't feel like Star Trek and blah, blah, blah. So what they've done is done, like, a complete 180, and they've added a character who is most like Star Trek than any other character that's existed. It's yeah. great. And, and we get it. a nice contrast, right? Mm -hmm. We get the contrast between a, a, a captain who cuts corners enough that while on the one hand you could compare him to a Jellico or to some of these other, you know, captains who, who go too far, uh, but plausibly you're kind of like, well, maybe he's just, you know, this is a wartime series, I don't know. We get lots of other things about compromises made during the war. Yeah. And uh, and then we switch from that to, and now what are we going to do with the third season? Because you can't, like, you're like, here's Lieutenant Kirk. <laughs> So instead, you're going to have to find some middle ground, right? Right. Mm -hmm. In which, you know, probably Saru is going to have to be navigating these waters. Or well, and we see, him be, we see him be pretty decisive in this episode. You know, when Burnham comes to him and is like, uh, hey, I want to take the shuttlecraft. That, that way the, the sphere knowledge won't be, you know, impacted. I can go off on my own, figure it out. And Saru's like, okay. She's like, wow, I thought that'd be more hard. And he's like, nope, I think we're, I think you're going to do the right thing. I think uh, blah, blah, just be careful. Don't let your uh, revenge get in the way. And maybe I'll send Spock along. <laughs> <laughs> Which he does. Because Spock, I think, even says, like, I'm here because Saru told me to be. Or the captain told me to be. I'm sure we'll keep talking about how great Pike is, but. Uh, we get to see time continue to be a character in this episode, like he kind of was in the last episode. You know, things that are said are like, time will tell. Time will reveal to you, you know. Pike takes the crystal, means that the future of the one he saw is most likely the one that will follow. Diabolical that time can't be reasoned with, right? Mm -hmm. Can't reason with time. But it's interesting because the last few episodes and even this episode is talking about how we can change the future, right? We know what the future is. We can change it. It's what Spock's telling us. It's like what Burnham is trying to learn. So it's interesting because we could also imagine, you know, Pike thinking in his head like, okay, well, that's a future that it's telling me that I might have. No matter what the Klingon, crazy Klingon is telling me, it's possible that I could avoid this future. And I 
I think he could, but he'd have to stop being Christopher Pike. Yeah, exactly. Right? He'd have to go, no, I'm going to be that uh, Orion slave you know, merchant. I'm going to be that dealer in whatever spices or crystals or right. you know, whatever he was talking about. I'm going to be that guy. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. All of those guys probably also come to a miserable end. No, no, I'll stay where I'm at. Sit in the big chair. <laughs> as long as I can. Devil I know better than the devil I don't. <laughs> uh, which led to the question, does the crystal always show a horrible future? You know, again, the Klingon, who turns out to be Vogue's son, as we'll call him, uh, you know, even tells him that everybody who comes down here and wants to get a crystal goes mad or, you know, doesn't make it or doesn't take the crystal with them, doesn't make the choice. So it makes you wonder if you're always given a sad future if you try and take, uh, take well, the crystal. So one of the great ancient, you know, philosophical questions was, could you be content with death, right? So the death of, of Hume, the 18th century British uh, or Scottish philosopher, was famous for the fact that, like, he approached death with equanimity, right? That, like, on his deathbed, he wasn't like, oh, no, I, I recant my skepticism, and I'm going to become a Christian, and I'm going to, you know, be sad about the way I spent my life, and, oh, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. Right. So there was this, this theory that nobody, you know, that you don't necessarily fear death, you fear the death blow, you fear the moment of death, mm -hmm. right? You fear that, that tightening of your chest, you know this is it, or that uh, disorientation that you know means, oh, I'm, I'm having some kind of, you know, brain hemorrhage or stroke or something. And that, you know, someone who had lived their life well, could die at peace, right? So one of the great stories of Solon, uh, he's asking what, the king of the of the, uh, the Phrygians? Was it the Phrygians? No, the Lydians. It was king of the Lydians. It was like, uh, I must be the happiest man alive because I'm so rich. And uh, I forget what place Solon, he's like, no, nah, you're third or you're fourth. You know, and he's like, well, who could be happier than me? Well, there's this guy. And there's this guy, and there's this woman, and these two boys. You know, it's like, what? <laughs> and, you know, so there was the idea that, like, if you had lived a good life, you could die peacefully. Although you'd still fear the moment of death, right? Mm -hmm. So I could imagine any, like, for example, to just keep going on and on and on. Uh, I, I was thinking, you know, if, if the world of Harry Potter, for example, really existed everyone would ultimately become a necromancer, right? Because you look around today, and who doesn't, at some point in middle age, going, oh, I got to get into life extension, whether that means wellness or changing my diet or change, you know, I got to exercise, I got to do things, I got to straighten my life out. And if yep. you were a wizard, you wouldn't be like, I could just learn necromancy and life <laughs> extension. No, of course you would. You spend your whole life being like some kind of infernal mage of fire, right? Right. Fireballs, fire rays, turning things on fire, and you're like, I'm gonna study some necromancy. You know, I got, I got, I, I'm slowing down here. I need to speed myself back up. Everyone would ultimately become a necromancer. And the question would be, could they learn necromancy fast enough, or would they all die? And so I think this is the, you know, everyone who goes to the silica these crystals is going to be horrified by the idea, seeing for real their death. Yeah. Right. No one's gonna watch themselves die and go. Hey, it's going to happen sometime. No, that's coming. You know, hey, when I was born, knew I was going to die. 
unavoidable. Right. And you almost have to think, ah, I'm going to be coming in Harriar, and uh, Valkyries will come and bring me to Odin's, you know, palace. <laughs> I'll, I'll live fabulously. <laughs> bring it on. <laughs> Look, I slayed six guys the moment before I died. <laughs> You'd have to almost be a Viking, right? Yeah. And and have imbued the spirit of of uh, you know. So I don't know. Maybe maybe some Klingons could come down and go. Yes. Look at me. How boldly I am. I'm I'm still fighting as I'm like cut into three pieces. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe everyone looks at their own death and goes, oh, my God, it's horrible. Those are my thoughts. I love it. So now the Discovery has a time crystal. What are they going to do with it? It's weird because, like, the story wraps, and then all of a sudden Section 31 is coming after them, and they're like, well, we're going to have to blow up the ship. And you're like, well, if you're going to blow up the ship, what was the whole point of getting the time crystal anyway? You know, obviously they're going to do something with it, but it's like, uh, what was the point of all of that? Maybe none? This is weird. Well, and not only that, I mean, they and they they mention this, right? Well, we could just you know jump, as though you know they don't say it, but of course warping wouldn't necessarily be useful because they'll just chase you. Yeah. But they, they could they could go to the other end of the galaxy. That's true. They could seek asylum in Romulan space. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That'd be an interesting third season. <laughs> yeah, right. No kidding. Or maybe, maybe uh, Klingon space. Uh, Klingons seem like they're they, they get them right. in. Yeah, that's true too. That's true too. Which brings me to uh, one of the things that uh, Kitty Burt from Den of Geeks said. She said the Klingons, as represented in Discovery thus far, do not seem like the type who would not use a weapon like the time crystals to win a war. Just saying. What do you think there? True or false on that one? Well, I think what ends up happening is that you realize that um, a time war becomes unwinnable, right? Just because it, what you end up doing is, you know, just folding and folding and folding. Is the other, you're like, oh, you made a move? I'm going to go back and counter that move before you make it. No, no, I'm going to counter that move before you made it. You're like, you know, five-year-olds playing cops and robbers, right? right? No, I shot you. I shot you first. But I was using this kind of gun that stopped your gun. No, but, but I was I was wearing special armor that blocks your gun. No, no, but I was using a special gun that blocks your armor that blocks my gun. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> and that's how that's how a time war would end up, right? Right. No, that's true. And so, how long would it take before you realize, oh, this is just a mess? Mm-hmm. We need to have like like nuclear war, right? You're like, oh, right. we don't want to do this. We don't want to have a nuclear war. We need to step back from this nonsense. And I can imagine the Klingons going, we are not. We're not a race of scientists, right? And uh, the Federation, they're going to have guys like Stamets who are going to figure stuff out, and suddenly we're going to find ourselves checkmated in some awful way because of, like, I don't know, three-dimensional chess or something like that. Right, right. And, you know, between the Vulcans and the humans and the Tellarites and their crazy engineering, and we do not want to be engaged in a time war with these people, let alone... The Romulans, <laughs> right? You know, so uh, you know, e- even the Romulans in lore are supposed to be interested in protecting the timeline. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it's probably something to discover early on, or maybe they're they're scientists. You're like, oh man, the paradoxes. Oh, this is crazy. 
I mean, who wants to get involved in time paradoxes? Not even yeah. Mr. Scott. Yeah. So we see a lot of Vogue's son in this episode as we're talking to, uh, as he's talking to um, Pike. <clears throat> Vogue's son, is he, uh, he's is he supposed to be like Albino, like Vogue was? Because he looks blue in this episode. He looks blue like his mother. Ah, see, that's what I was wondering. I was like, wait, is Laurel blue? I couldn't remember that from last season that she was also... Well, she's, she's in this episode. Yeah, I mean, she's blue in this episode for sure. But uh, I don't remember her being blue last season. Is all I was yeah. thinking. Maybe but. it was the lighting. Yeah, that's what I. I mean, that's what I was ultimately coming down to. I'm like, there just must have been a lot of blue light in this episode, especially on the planet. But you know, if she was in a area that had a window, and then the you know the way the the the, the sunlight was reflecting off the planet or something, I don't know. That's what I was thinking on that one. So let's talk about Burnham a little bit here. Uh, at the beginning of the episode, she asserts, she says, uh, that the uh, Discovery should try and find control, right? Because she's single-purposed here. She's got, she wants revenge. She wants to, you know, get back at him for uh, losing her, uh, her mother. So uh, she decides to take the shuttle off on her own. We talked about that scene. I was thinking, though, from, again, from a story, from a more creative standpoint, it's interesting because... Burnham has always had two confidants, right? She's always had, uh, well, three if you count Saru. But she's always had Tilly and then always Ash, right? Like usually she's talking to Tilly about Ash or whatever. But, you know, those are her, the three people she's talking to. Well, if you notice, Tilly's not even in this episode, right? She's gone, nowhere to be seen in this episode. And then we do have Tyler, who, you know, they have this nice little scene that happens in this one. But we've also, but now we've got Spock, right? Her brother, who, by the way, that was fun, them calling each other brother and sister in this yeah. episode. That was great. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, so now she's got this extra confidant that you almost lose Saru and Tilly because it's like, no, we've already got, we want her talking to Spock because Spock's cool and everybody likes right. Spock. So, uh, you know, it was really neat. It's like the sweet moment that happened at the beginning of this episode when Spock has call, already called Amanda to tell her what happened, you know, just so she knows. Just want to let you know this is what happened. This is what Michael's going through. And then sure enough, Amanda's like, I got to call her. Uh, so that was a nice little scene. I like that. So Burnham here finds out about the sun, the secret sun that Ash had. And she says, I wish you would have been able to tell me so that you wouldn't have to carry this burden alone. Like, Michael doesn't have enough, right? She needs to help carry somebody else's burden. Yeah, I mean, there's... there's so Spock said it in anger, right? The whole thing about that she's just going to carry the whole weight of the universe, right? Yeah, and exactly, She thinks right? that nobody can bear it but her. But it's true. I mean, yeah. he was on to something. <laughs> no, he's definitely not wrong. It wasn't like, he was, well, you're, you're uglier than... Uh, a rhinoceros who ran into a tree. You're like, well, oh, no, that's clearly not true. But <laughs> yeah. Well, what he said about the, she thinks she's the only one who can bear the struggle. That's totally yeah. true. Dead on, absolutely. So, uh, as I said, Spock is kind of insists on coming along, but is also ordered to come along, or at least he says he's ordered. Whether or not that's true, we don't know. But that felt to me like a very Spock thing to do, right? Like, oh, Somebody I know and like is going to go off on some crazy mission. Uh, Jim, you better step. let me step in and help you with this. You know what I mean? It just feels like it's the kind of thing that he's like, ah, no, 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 no. You're not doing this by yourself. I'm coming in to help. 
so they get there and they have this big battle against with uh, control, basically, who's taken over another uh, body. What was interesting and a little bit frightening is that control has now found a better way at faking human, right? Because we see a little bit of fear from this guy. We see some sadness at the loss of all of his comrades. Uh, you know, he, they're like, uh, hey, you want to go to control or we need somebody to go into the, the control room and uh, fix all this stuff. And he's like, uh, I mean, like, you know, I'll go. I don't really, you know, you can totally tell like he doesn't want to go. And Burnham's like, I'll go. And Spock's like, I'll go. Uh, but that, but I mean, that was almost scary how like more and more human he's become. Control's really getting, uh, getting onto something here. So Control says that he uh, wants Burnham or needs Burnham. Uh, is this so he can in- imitate her and steal her, f- steal the file from the ship? It's kind of what it felt like. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he felt like if he assimilated her, and of course here we're again talking in a very Borg-like manner. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, if he assimilates Burnham, like the whole key to the defense, you know, is basically the discovery, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're the ones who uncovered it, you know, and Burnham was there at all these key places, and she's connected to the time business. Yeah, I mean, compromising Burnham would be excellent. Yeah, no kidding. And Burnham's propensity to run off and do stuff. You know, you, you might be able to trick Captain Pike out of the ship. He he can get out of the ship and do stuff he's not supposed to do. Yeah. So he'd be a, he'd be a good pick. Saru, no? When does he ever leave? Uh, you know, unless you're going to go back to his homeworld and threaten to mess stuff up there, he's going to stay in the ship. Right. I also think, too, there are too many people who are too close to Burnham who would quickly figure it out. You yeah. know, like Saru would figure it out, Spock would figure it out, Tilly, all these people would you just be like, no, they just know Michael too well. But it's interesting because Spock says at the end of this, that of uh, the end of that storyline that uh, Control wanted her because she's the wild card, right? He doesn't know how to predict what she's going to do. So, although, if you think about it, <laughs> Control's plan would have worked had it not been for Spock. Right, yeah. <laughs> He's the one who managed to get out and lock it down. and Well, and Spock was also, like, uh, even though he wasn't there, figured out right away yeah. that, that the person in the room was the, the control thing. Yeah, control all along. Yeah, so Spock would be another. You'd have to deal with Spock right away. Yeah. From what we've been able to tell by his rambling in this episode, Control's plan is apparently to become the purest form of life. Mm -hmm. And because of that, that means all of the life has got to be destroyed. Yeah, so it's possible instead of going Borg, we're going to end up in some kind of pure machine intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, you can see how that would be more perfect. Yeah. But boy, it certainly feels Borgy. Yeah. Sure does. Just without tubes. <laughs> the Borg without tubes. But also without all those cute, you know, cool apparatus attached yeah. to there. And laser so, pointers on there. Yeah, laser pointers and little drills that come out of their head and hands that are drills and hands that are guns. And they got a lot going for them as far as, like, accessories. Accessories. <laughs> I like this. Uh, I, I put this quote in here on purpose uh, from IGN, who said, uh, 
But man, Burnham and Spock are such a great team now. It really makes you wonder why we never hear about her again. <laughs> Which is fair, but again, we just didn't. You know, there are other times he talked about her and we just never heard about it. Right, yeah, because it's not like we heard every possible conversation. Yes, exactly, exactly. I can't remember. I was listening to um, to uh, Star Wars Minute and uh, one of the... Uh, one of the guest hosts on that show was talking about like how people get bogged down. It happens. In, I mean, obviously it happens in Star Trek a lot, but it happens in Star Wars as well, where people get bogged down onto, you know, all of these like crazy little things of like, why didn't we hear this? Why didn't, you know, we see this? Why did this happen? And, you know, the guy was basically like, it, there are reasons like things just happen because I think that's what he ended up saying was like, it's just because that's how it is. You know what I mean? There's so many, I'm trying to think there's this very specific one that I have in my, that's on the tip of my brain that won't come out, but you know, if like these very like, Oh, well we need to know, you know, like uh, how this thing came about. And I'm like, it's easy. It just came about. Like, why do we need to know the origin of right. every, I'm not complaining about you know this possibly being the Borg. In fact, I kind of like that idea. You know, right. it's like why this story needed to be told and why we're telling it after the next generation. You know, or something. That's fine with me. But it's just really interesting. Of like, sometimes there's just there's just a reason. There's just it just things just happen and we just haven't seen that moment. Is all. So this is this is how conspiracy theories work, right? Is Fair. that you you try to draw a through line between all the events as though they have to be connected. When sometimes the guy got hit by a car because he, he got out of the house at 1 a.m. to go get a pack of cigarettes and wasn't watching when he crossed the street. Right. Done. That was it. Not a master plan. No black helicopters. Right. The guy at the, uh, at the JFK assassination who opened up his umbrella, he's got a skin condition, man. He's got to <laughs> stay out of the sun. You know what I mean? Like what? It could be anything. Mm -hmm. So we've got, you know, situations where... Um, like when Kirk mentions that his brother is on the planet, what is it, Operation Annihilate? Yep. And no one was like, wait, Kirk got a brother? Everyone acts like they knew it, right? Yeah. As though, even though it's the first time for us to hear about it, he had talked about it before. Yeah. Right? Possibly, you know, while McCoy or Spock is walking in, he's having a conversation with his brother. Yeah. It's not like I go around all the time, although I do mention you. You're know, like talking about my brother all the time, so that every guest in the hotel, every <laughs> is like, "Oh my God, that guy! How he talks about us, his brother! I don't even know what job he has at the hotel. <laughs> I know what he's doing." Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, like, there's a couple of people who are also involved in like geek culture who go to things like Comic Con. Yeah. Who I'm like, oh yeah, and here's you know my brother and I went to see this thing, and here's the multiple Doctor Who's and whatever else. So I talk, you know, there you come up. But other than those kinds of situations, unless there's some reason for me to be like, well, my brother's a bartender. Mm -hmm. My brother works in restaurants. It never comes up because, why, you know, like, why would it? I'm at work. We also get a great moment of the crew in the off hours. Remember, we've been talking about how, well, we need to kind of see more of the crew, maybe them interacting. Wouldn't it be great if, you know, this set up other things? We do see it in this episode. It's too bad we just didn't see it earlier. Uh, and, uh, you know, from Stamets' point of view, it does look like Culber has very much moved on, right? He's got a new group of friends. He's, like, smiling, having a good time. But, you know, we've all kind of been in that situation where there's, like, somebody we like, and we're like, oh, gee, look at them. They're fine without me or whatever, you know? You're just like, yeah. 
screw them. Everybody's lived that moment that Stamets was living at that second, where it's like, he's course, just not thinking about you this second. And not just that. He's doing in his room. But Culper could be, I'm so lonely, I need to make new friends. I'm going to have to smile and be happy, because that's how you make new friends. Hi, be my friend, be my yeah. friend. Hi, be my friend. I'm so lonely. Be my friend. Oh, there's Stamets. I'm so sad. Please be my friend. You know? <laughs> and that's how it could be for Culper right now. Yeah. In that in that moment. But we just got to, we were sitting next to Stamets, so we saw his side of it. Yeah, exactly. And I he's also... grumpy and moody, so. Right. I should also point out that uh, last night during the uh, Texas Tech-Virginia basketball game, the championship, one of the Tech players was actually named Culber, so that was really weird. <laughs> so I was watching part of the game, and I'm like, they keep saying Culber. What is going on here? <laughs> He's in med school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, now we know how he paid his way through. So we get this scene between Ash and uh, Laurel, where she basically is like, I've come to be okay with knowing that, you know, you'll always be in love with Michael Burnham. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. It just felt really weird to me. It just felt like too on the nose, too much like, uh, I might never ever see you again, which I guess is true. I might never ever see you again, so I'm just going to say this now because I have to. But, you know, she even yeah. says, like, I don't recognize you now. You know, like as if she can't even see Voke or even the Ash Tyler she knew in there. Also, and we talked about this for a half a second, but so they're going to blow up the ship at the end of the episode, right? And it's so funny because it's so obvious. I'm amazed we never thought about it. You know what I mean? It's like, well, how else can we get something that's not going to let itself, you know, be deleted or be ejected or what other? But just blow it up. Just blow up the computer system. Let's just blow up the ship. However we need to do it, let's just make sure this thing's gone once and for all. We're just going to blow her up. It'll be great. So it's funny because, you know, Charlie has no TV experience, right? Cause, right. Uh, you know, when when Cassandra was little, I, I would do things like I would just never plug the cable into the TV. So, like, we could watch videos. We could watch v VHS and stuff. But you couldn't watch. There was no TV. That mm -hmm. just doesn't work. That was, you know, <laughs> when you're eight, what do you do? You just go, I guess it doesn't work. Yeah. Let's, let's watch that cartoon that we like again. And so, like, she grew up without TV, so now the, the grandkids have no TV. So at the end, when they're doing the, you know, what we would go, next week on Star Trek. Yep. Um, and, you know, giving us the previews, Charlie's like, there's a commercial for Star Trek in Star Trek? That blows my mind. <laughs> I'm like, these are the coming attractions, so we, we, we want to tune in next week because we know it'll be exciting. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Uh, we also get a great shot of the Klingon D7. That was yeah. pretty neat. I like that shot. And it looks like we're going to get that thing that we wanted, right? Where number one is going to come back with the Enterprise. Yep. And they're going to fight side by side. Yep. I love it. Yeah, we get to see number one finally get to do something. That'll be nice. Yeah, we'll, we'll get a nice final climactic battle of, of you know, coolness. Yep. And then, basically, Pike is going to go back to the Enterprise and be like, great working with you, you're a fabulous crew. Right. But you know what else is crazy is, is that we've got two more episodes left, right? We've got the wrap-up of this story, which includes, obviously, some kind of space battle of some sort. But we still have three more signals. I'm like, well, that's weird. That's a lot of stories in, in 
two uh, two more episodes to wrap up. So that'll Although be cool. We may never check out those three signals. Maybe. I mean, things may get resolved in this whole. They may learn things fighting control. Yeah. Or by tapping into the the spear database or whatever that that allow them to figure stuff out. Yeah. Because at this point, you kind of feel like everything we've been leading to is probably about stopping control. Mm-hmm. So, if they do that, they're kind of like, well, done, don't need the other signals. Right. Another thought I had was, uh, why hasn't Spock shaved yet? Uh, it occurred to me last week, and then I never said it, and so this week I was thinking about it again. I'm like, he's kind of, he's basically back with the Federation and like, well, get dressed, suit up, buddy. Come on. Well, he's still wearing the civilian clothes. I yes, think the moment is. the moment we see him back in uniform, and that may happen with the arrival of the Enterprise. Yeah, that's true. That or maybe at can... the end of the season. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. The last I think time I, we see him, there's going to be a reveal, right? Yeah. 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 Oh yes, Spock is back for his normal Spockness, for Spockacity. <laughs> There was also, I don't know if you noticed this, there was a transition. They were on Saru's face, and then they, like, cross-fade into the cool. side of the mountain. mountain and his face yeah. is basically, like, in the side <laughs> of the mountain. I like that. I was like, wow, all right. That's cool. And then just following that, Pike walks in the, into the door, and <laughs> the door is, like, left open behind him. There's, like, snow blowing in. I'm like, come on, buddy, close the door behind you. What are you doing? <laughs> They have bats and leaves, all sorts of stuff flying around in the display. <laughs> A possible plot hole or not, you decide if Pike knows that he saw his future, and in the future he has the ability to uh, become the thing in the chair, does that mean that he knows that they must survive this? Dun, dun, dun. I know, right? It, yeah, it does suggest that, like, well, I guess I'm not, whatever happens, I'm not destroyed yet. Yep. Gives him a little more confidence to get through the uh, next couple days. I'm apparently destroyed by a, mel- a, a, a wasting, <laughs> a melting disease. <laughs> yeah, or something. <laughs> um, so the guy who played uh, Vogue's son, or Tyler Laurel's son, however you want to look at it. His name was Ke- uh, Kenneth Mitchell. He's uh, become the resident Klingon on the show. First he played Cole last year, and then played Cole Shaw this season. And now he's folk son. So I thought that was interesting. He's like their go-to Klingon guy besides Laurel. It, it's also very Star Trek, right? Yep. It's Ensign Smith. Lieutenant Jones, Lieutenant Carlisle, that died in each episode, but, you know. <laughs> yep, exactly. Welcome back to the cast. Uh, IGN also wondered if we might be heading in for a connection to Calypso uh, with this one that's set a thousand years in the future or whatever. Like, maybe they have to send Discovery ahead, and maybe it's just there for a little bit. Well, I guess he said he's been there for a thousand years or whatever. I don't know. It'd be interesting. I don't know how they would, how that would like fold in, but it would be interesting if they did that. Well, the thing is, they really can't tie up the ship or blow up the ship or, you know, do whatever 
as long as we're going to call the series, you know, Star Trek Discovery. Yes, I know. I was also thinking that too. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, in theory, they could they could pull a Star Trek three. You know, in which it's yes. like, well, it's the Discovery A. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's the next one. But I don't know that it's like such a storied ship as Enterprise that you just like go, well, we got to cross off whatever this was going to be called. And... I did not notate who wrote this, but in uh, one of the reviews I read, they said this, which was awesome. Talking about control again and like what control wants to do. Uh, they said, it's the classic, be careful what you wish for. Section 31 created a threat assessment program to prevent future wars, and said program came up with the perfect solution of killing all sentient life, making sure there would be no more wars. Which, that's cool. I like that idea. Mm -hmm. So, uh, oh, that was Katie Burt from Den of Geek, which is sad because uh, uh, she hasn't liked the last couple episodes. And it's funny because it seems to me that every time I like mention something that's like, oh, this is really cool, or you should go check out, blah, 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 they always end up turning on Discovery. As I think a few weeks ago, I mentioned the documentary I saw from Midnight's Edge on YouTube, but then like Midnight's YouTube hates like everything that CBS has been doing with Star Trek and has like, you know, ah, it's just been crazy. So I'm like, ah, why do I talk about these things? And then they turn on me, <laughs> so sad. Uh, but oh well. Uh, looks like that's all the notes that I have for this week. Uh, anything else you wanted to mention? Anything we didn't talk about? No, I think we've uh, hit it all. I, I'm looking forward to next week because it just looks like it's going to be, you know, a great action adventure. The gang's all here. Everyone's involved. All hands yep. on deck kind of episode. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I know. I'm super excited. It's going to be great. Two more episodes of this. Then we go back to... Oh, man, I looked up which episode it was going to be, too, and then I forgot all over again. You know, yeah. there's, a, there's a scene in Master and Commander uh, in which uh, you know, they're, they're handing out assignments, right? Okay. And, uh, well, I'm going to board on this side, and the first officer is going to board on that side, and, you know, this, op this officer is going to be with him, and this officer is going to be with me, and... Uh, like, it's, it's clear that one of the young, you know, ensigns who wants to, you know, wants to be part of the boarding party hasn't, has no assignment, right? And he goes to the captain, you know, I want to be on the boarding party. And he's like, no, no, I have a much more important job for you here. Uh, you know, when, when we're over there, you'll be in command of the ship. And he's like, in command of the ship? He's <laughs> like, Yeah. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so you, you can kind of imagine that, that you, there's kind of a you know they got 31 ships coming in or whatever it's supposed to be, right? And uh, it's like, well, uh, Pike and Spock are going over there, Saru and Burnham are going over there, you know, Stamets and Culper are going over there, uh, you know, Tilly, we need you to stay here and take command of the ship. Take command That's of the ship, right? <laughs> Although I'm sure there are people who have outranked Tilly. She's still yeah. only an ensign. Yeah, but there's 31 ships coming in. <laughs> I guess that's fair. <laughs> Plus, it's, you know, it's like sometimes you, you have the same thing in, in like the original series where Kirk would leave and he'd like 
put Chekhov in charge, and you're like, really? <laughs> <laughs> of all the people? <laughs> yeah, you can't, like, call somebody up from someplace else. I mean, after all, there's got to be a full commander in the record section somewhere. <laughs> right? Yeah, no kidding. Because <laughs> why wouldn't we keep him down there? <laughs> He's in a pod somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> or so they say. <laughs> so the next episode then will be the changeling ah with nomad so uh that'll be great all of all of our talk about uh computer systems taking over oh, yes. uh ships and boom <laughs> we've got the perfect example coming up right after uh discovery ends and then how, how long until we get uh to m5 what's that it is i've got a retinax problem here it's uh, written by DC Fontana. Okay. It is episode 24 of season two. But of course, we're going in production date. It's number 53 on the production code. But without spoiling it for you, because obviously you're like, what's that? It's, uh, it's another one of these, you know, scary computer takes over. Kirk needs to turn off the computer. Heard. Is that the does not compute one? Uh, no, I, th I think that's, uh, the, the one we're coming up on. Oh, Nomad? All right. So, yeah, so we got a couple of good ones coming up. We got, uh, so the Changeling, then, well, I say good ones. Then we have the Apple, and then Mir Mir, and then the Deadly Years. Da, da, da. So those will be the four episodes we will hit after uh, Discovery ends, which will be fun and exciting, and boy, can't we wait. So... There we go. That'll do that. Uh, as always, my name is Matt, coming to you from Austin. And uh, from Houston is my brother, Ken. Say goodbye, Ken. Live long and prosper. There we go. And we will see everybody next week. Two more episodes. Woo!